0: Hey there, welcome to Menlo and thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're here. For the next few weeks, we're gonna be in a series about relationships and I already know what you're thinking, another series on relationships? That's right. You, You see, God created us for community to be in relationship with him and then to be in relationship with others. This has always been God's plan and desire for our lives. And regardless of what you believe it's the one indispensable condition for human flourishing. According to one philosopher, a community is not simply a group of people who live together and love each other, it's a place of resurrection. In other words, relationships give life and relationships make life flourish. On August 28, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave arguably the single most remembered speech of the 20th century. He shared a dream that that one day our nation would live out the true meaning of its creed, that all people are created equal by God. His dream was that one day all people would be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together and even stand up for freedom together. His dream captured the conscience of our nation because he was articulating not just his dream, but ultimately God's dream, God's vision for humanity, that all people whom he created and formed from the dust of the earth would live together in love and harmony. This week, we remember that dream and we remember and honor the prophetic voice of truth that Dr. King shared with our nation and continues to echo throughout the world today. And as we remember and honor the work of Dr. King, It's also a reminder that Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. So there couldn't be a better time for us to begin a new series on relationships. And that's why we're gonna spend the next few weeks together learning how to love one another. But first, I have a confession. Just before the holidays, Esther and I got into a fight. Okay, now I'd rather call it an argument as if we were thoughtfully debating two different sides of an issue. You know, like two mature adults who are civil and rational and composed. The kind of disagreement that we encounter every single day that most people can solve pretty easily. But this was not that. This was an all out brawl. I said things I shouldn't have said. She said some things she shouldn't have said. The tone and volume of our voices was intense. We were both upset and totally convinced that the other person was wrong, and we lost all sense of reason. But if I'm being honest, what we were fighting and arguing about wasn't what we were really fighting and arguing about. The particular incident I'm referring to was about a financial decision we were considering. You know, like the ones where one person thinks the expense is an investment— There's a value proposition, a great deal that will benefit everyone. And the other person's thinking it's unnecessary or excessive or a waste of resources. But deep down, that's not what we were really fighting over. What we were really fighting about were our values, our identities, our fears and insecurities. And at some level, we're not always on the same page about these things. And that little difference, that little difference in perspective or opinion or desire creates just enough of a difference to reveal a little crack in our relationship. You might know what a crack in a relationship looks like, right? It's when you feel a little more negative than positive towards someone at work. It's when there's a little bit of an edge, a bite in something you say to your spouse or a family member. It's when you decide not to look someone in the eye and avoid eye contact at all costs. Nowadays, with all of our Zoom meetings, it's easy just to mute your video when you're feeling this way towards someone. Or rather than thinking of ways you can show love and care and warmth, you'd rather they feel distance, cold, or offended. Have you ever felt this way towards someone? I mean, if we're being honest, this happens in all of our relationships. Healthy relationships aren't about being perfect without any conflict or disagreement a healthy relationship isn't one that doesn't have any cracks in it. I once heard someone say that every relationship has stress fractures in its foundation. These tiny little cracks that you can't see on the surface. And then then one day there's some weight, some pressure, a burden that comes along that doesn't create these little cracks in our relationship, but reveals them. We're calling this series, I Love You But You're Driving Me Nuts because for almost a year now, many of us, have been feeling the pressure, the weight, the burden of shelter in place. And it's it's been revealing the cracks in the foundation of our relationships. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your parents or your kids. The pandemic has been the perfect storm for many people who are living under the same roof with lockdown and social distancing, causing us to spend increased amounts of time together. And the pandemic has brought into focus the issues that have been there all along. But the good news is this. God has given us wisdom in how we can navigate these situations. John Gottman is a psychologist and researcher who's studied relationships and marriages for almost 40 years, and he's worked with thousands of couples. And based on his research, he's able to predict with an astounding 90% accuracy rate which marriages will improve and which ones will deteriorate. What he discovered is that most relationship problems never get resolved and are perpetual problems that don't ever go away unless they're redressed. In most relationships, these unresolved problems are small and trivial. So small, we're embarrassed to even bring them up. On a scale of one to 10, it's a two. Not a big deal. Why bother? But when you're not careful, Over time, all of those little twos and threes, they start to add up. And before you know it, your relationship is in trouble to the nth degree. Gottman's research says that in many relationships, there are thousands of little unresolved issues that never get addressed. A thousand crucial conversations that never happened. A thousand moments and opportunities that were just a two or three and got glossed over. We say to ourselves, what's the big deal? I already know what she's going to say. It's not worth it. I don't want to make things awkward or get into a fight. And then those little twos and threes start to feel like fours and fives. And then one day they become nines and tens. And and that's when things feel beyond our control. It didn't happen overnight. The love and respect didn't just disappear, but it slipped through all those little cracks that were never addressed and repaired. Healthy relationships are not defined by the absence of conflict. They're defined by the ability to manage and address and resolve the presence of conflict because there's conflict in every relationship. And since conflict is pervasive in any relationship, we need to know how to navigate and resolve conflict in all of our relationships. This is such an important skill we need. It's impossible to achieve and live a life of happiness and joy without it. You can be attractive, successful, wealthy, and smart, spiritual even, but if you have unhealthy, broken relationships in your life, life will feel more like a drain and a mess. So in the time we have today, I wanna look at how we can fight a good fight Uh, because there is such a thing called healthy conflict resolution. And, And when it's handled in the right way, it actually has the ability to strengthen our relationships and lead to deeper connections and greater intimacy. Now, a quick disclaimer. When I told my wife I was gonna be talking about conflict resolution, her response was, really? That's interesting. Let me translate that for you. What that means is I'm not an expert in this. I don't enjoy conflict any more than you do. I'd rather just avoid it and hope it goes away on its own. Why bother? But But I think if we study this together, and we talk about it, it can actually improve the quality of our relationships and therefore improve the quality of our lives. So why are relationships hard? Why does conflict keep happening with the people we love who are driving us nuts? Well, it starts with this little thing called sin. The sin in each one of us leads to behave in a way where we have a self-serving bias or we view others with a fundamental attribution error. James calls it your own desires that battle within you. Uh, when, when my desires aren't the same as your desires, it leads to differences that can create conflict. In other words, when I don't get what I want, when it's not the way I see things or not what I want to eat or what I want to do or my idea of fun, my sin, my selfishness can show up in a way that creates friction. And that friction can build up and turn into resentment or anger. And if I, if I don't deal with that anger, it can lead up to a huge fight or argument. And these days during shelter in place, all of our desires are hitting up against other people's desires, creating friction, leading to anger, pain, frustration, and conflict. The scriptures are full of wisdom on how we can deal with conflict in our relationships. So I want to look at a few passages together and then offer some simple practices that can equip us to engage in conflict in a way that can lead to greater connection, greater love, and intimacy. First, we have to start with self-reflection and self-awareness. Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're with someone right now, you can turn to them and say, hey, you fall short, way short. Uh, Since we all have sin in our hearts, we all have shortcomings. And because we all have these shortcomings, we'll never have conflict-free relationships. And if we're not aware of this in ourselves, we'll always blame others for the conflict in our lives. It'll always be someone else's fault. It's something he did. It's what she said. It's because they're narrow-minded. It's because they're out to get me. It's easier to spot and blame and see shortcomings in others, but you have to recognize everyone falls short, including you. Jesus says in in Matthew 7, uh, verses 3 and 5, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the first step in resolving any conflict is to look in the mirror at ourselves. We have to reflect on our own hearts and motives. We have to recognize our own sin and selfishness. And by doing that, it changes our hearts to be in a posture of humility to listen better and understand the person we're in conflict with. You can't resolve any conflict without first recognizing your part, your role in it, and how you contribute to the problem. But I also want to say this is not about beating yourself up and blaming yourself for everything either. It's more about preparing your heart in a way where you can engage with the other person with the hope and the goal of making peace. Once we recognize our contribution to the problem, only then will we be able to move forward in a way that leads to healing resolution, and peace. So so we start with recognizing our own part in the conflict, that we all fall short in some way. Next, when there is a conflict, don't ignore it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now, there are a lot of different ways to interpret this, but the bottom line is this. Jesus is saying, your relationship with others is just as important as your relationship with me, with God. In other words, he's saying, before you worship me, if you follow me, go and make things right with others first. Now, usually this is the last thing we want to do. I know it is for me. I'd rather avoid and ignore and forget it ever happened and just move on. And you know, for the longest time, I thought that was the right thing to do. I I didn't want to make a bigger deal out of it. I just wanted to deal with my own frustration and disappointment, push it down, get over it and move on. I thought I was taking the high road when I did that. But in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us to leave our gift on the altar And go deal with the conflict. In Matthew 18, Jesus says it again in a different way. He says, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, Jesus wants us to address the sin that's causing the conflict. Jesus is telling us to initiate the process of reconciliation. Notice he doesn't qualify this with whose fault it was or who was more responsible for the situation or or who who started it or who's to blame. Jesus just says, go, address it. Don't wait for the other person to make the first move. Healthy conflict resolution, according to the gospel, it's not about waging war with someone. It's not about arming yourself with evidence or excuses or justifications. If we start with step one and realize our own sin, we can engage any conflict with the goal of forgiveness and peace. And if we experience God's grace and love in the first step, then we can gain the capacity to extend God's grace and love to others. Often the reason why we can't extend forgiveness to others is because we haven't fully received it and experienced it ourselves. This is where reflection and confession and prayer and meditation opens us up to God's great love to fill our hearts and minds with a deep sense of his love and forgiveness. And then when we experience it, we can go and engage the conflict we're in with someone else and have the capacity to extend that same love and forgiveness to someone who's hurt us. Now, most of the time, these are things that we do on our own. We, we have to address the personal conflict in our relationships. But, but sometimes, a lot of times maybe, we need help and support and the accountability of others. Sometimes we can't do this alone. So when we're stuck at an impasse, the third step gives us a way forward. Invite someone not involved to walk with you toward healing and peace. Jesus says this um, in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins against you, go, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church." Now, this doesn't mean gossip and tell everyone about something someone else has done. This isn't about airing your issues out in public. This is really about seeking wisdom and support from others, gaining perspective, their perspective, when you can't resolve conflict on your own. Sometimes we need help to solve and address the conflict in our relationships. And and sometimes that involves inviting others to join us and help us with it. When emotions are running high and and the hurt goes deep, it can cloud your objectivity. But the blessing of being in community, in relationships with others, is that we're not alone and we have others in our lives who can counsel us, encourage us, and help us face any relational challenge. You know, back to the research on marriages, studies show that marital success increases significantly with premarital counseling. And the key reason why premarital counseling helps prevent chronic issues is because couples who are willing to invite others into their problems and issues and conflicts at the beginning of their relationship are more likely to invite the help and support of others later on as well, when they face more difficult issues down the road. When couples isolate and keep their issues hidden, they usually don't lead to healthy resolution. So we can and should invite people we know and love and trust to help us with conflict and repair the cracks in our relationships. We can ask pastors, counselors, people in our life groups to help us with this. My my life group is made up of people who are all in a similar stage of life, most weeks, some of the guys in my group will spend an hour checking in and praying with each other. And to put a little structure around our time, we've got these weekly questions that we ask each other. Uh, things like, how's your relationship with God? How did you show up at work? Or how are you doing as a father? How are you showing up as a husband? One of the guys in our group has a follow-up question to the how are you showing up as a husband question. It's how many dishes did you do this week? He's, he's quantifying his answer. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because this little community that I'm in gives me the love and the support to build and cultivate healthier relationships in my life. First with God, but then with my wife, Esther, and my three boys, Nathan and Jacob and Max. And then the people I work with, my coworkers. And we even ask each other a weekly question that that says, did you love a stranger or help someone in need? Whenever I'm having relational conflict or challenges, these are the friends I can trust to counsel me and pray for me and support me and hold me accountable and walk with me to strengthen the quality of relationships in my life. Last month, I blew it. I lost my patience with Esther and I said some mean things that really hurt her. I was focused on myself. And in that moment, I didn't think about loving her and making peace. So the next day I apologized and she did too, and we forgave each other, admitted our faults, and reaffirmed our commitment to work things out, even when we drive each other nuts. A popular author, Anne Lamont, once posted on her Facebook, earth is forgiveness school. You might as well start at the dinner table. That way you can do this work in comfortable pants. The person you love, the one who's driving you nuts, just might be the person God is using to teach you more about his love and about his grace. This weekend, we want to invite you to participate in communion. If you've got some bread nearby, maybe some sourdough bread, which is popular these days, um, and something to drink, you can pull that over with you now. And in a moment, as we begin to sing in response, you can participate. Because we're all broken people living in a broken world. And in our broken relationship with God, he chose to move toward us to seek repair and restoration. Jesus addressed this conflict on the cross. He allowed his body to be broken and for his blood to bleed out, his love to bleed out for us. So as we receive these elements today, we receive his love again and we remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And as we do that, let's move toward one another with love and grace. So before we sing and you receive these elements, let me offer a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great reminder that you loved us first, that you extended grace and forgiveness in the broken relationship that we have with you. As we receive your love, as we understand your grace and your forgiveness for our lives, May that give us the power to extend love to others, to give grace to anyone and everyone in our lives, to even deal with people that we disagree with or have relational conflict with. God, we are trusting in your good grace and your love to do this. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.